So last week, like I said, we talked about unexpected crisis. I can't say it. I got I'm telling you, I, I got to get up and walk around. So last week, we talked about an unexpected crisis, and we saw how Joseph and Mary had an unexpected crisis come into their lives. But then we also talked about how they responded to that unexpected crisis. And we learned that regardless of what comes into our lives, we can respond to an unexpected crisis by trusting in God. And we talked of, explained a few reasons why. Because he's trustworthy and he proves himself to be trustworthy because he sent Jesus as our Savior to die on the cross for, the, on a, for my sins and for your sins. So by that, just that one fact alone, we know that God is trustworthy and we can trust in God. He keeps his promises. But today we're going to talk, uh, week two is an unexpected threat. An unexpected threat. So we were having problems earlier with our Connect app. So if you're trying to get the notes on the Connect app, uh, I don't know if they fixed it or not, but you're probably going to have a little bit of an issue. We do have notes uh, available back on Connection Counter for you to, to do the pen and ink thing. And we also have Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a couple Bibles left too in the back for you, for you to uh, use today. So the question, or not the question, but the statement I want to make today is, it's good to be the king. Now, I don't know if you thought about that, uh, but sometimes in our present-day culture, we hear it's good to be the king. And so we have a little video montage to speak to that. Go ahead and roll. All right, so there we have a little bit of pop culture with kings in our world. (laughs) I don't know if you ever thought about that, but how many of us would like to be king of the world? You know, sometimes if you think about that, hey, that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be so bad, being king of the world, getting whatever you want all the time. And so sometimes maybe our mind might go there, being king of the world. But the problem with being king, especially king of the world, is that there will always seem to be an unexpected threat. There will always seem to be an unexpected threat. Now, that first video clip was The Cowardly Lion, a great movie, obviously uh, classic, one of the, the top probably 15 movies of all time, right? But The Cowardly Lion knew all about unexpected threats. He did. Although he was king of the forest, he lacked courage. And so the threats to his position came and came and came against him, but they always went unanswered because he was cowardly. And he couldn't do anything about it. For many of us, though, the opposite is true. For many of us, whenever we feel threatened, we don't back down, but many times we wage war. We wage war. Now, sometimes we send stealth bombings into the situation, and we drop bombs, which would be comments to people maybe on the side, maybe being sarcastic, maybe being truthful, but kind of with a smile and a grin. Or maybe some of us go for the shock and awe tactic to where we just go crazy at the office and we wage war with words, with actions, and with deeds. And I was thinking about this waging war, and I thought, you know, especially in the recent past, Road rage has become a big thing. I mean, it was really, I don't say popular, but it was really a problem in California about 10 or 15 years ago. 
And now, I have not really experienced that road rage where I wanted to go out and actually kill somebody, but I have had road frustration. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can uh, attest to that with me. What is it with people that want to drive five miles below the speed limit, but then when you pass them, then they have to go five miles above the speed limit and pass you? Man, that drives me crazy. That is just so frustrating. So I don't have road rage. I have road frustration, especially people like that. But I don't know. What, what, what threats do you face in your life? What threats do you, do you face in, in your life? Maybe it's a, a competition at work. Maybe that's where the threat is coming from. Maybe somebody has received a promotion or maybe somebody has received an opportunity that you thought should have been yours. Or how about a competition at home? Especially for those of you that have teenagers, <laughs> you parents. Sometimes it feels like a competition because they won't listen and they, won't, they sometimes disrespect you. I've been there, I've done that, walked through that one. That one was never easy, but that's competition at home. Or maybe how about competition in other areas? Maybe for you, married couple, uh, Who's going to control the checkbook? Oh, I want to control the checkbook. No, I want to control the checkbook. And we have this friction. We have this war raging about who's going to control the checkbook. It's a big deal, right? So whatever threat you're coming face-to-face with today, here's what I want you to remember. And this is on the slide. When I'm threatened, I can wage war or I can be wise. When I'm threatened, I can wage war or I can be wise. Now that's a really nice idea, isn't it? Sounds nice and neat. I should put a bow on it. It's perfect, right? Just be wise. Well, many of us don't know how to be wise. Many of us, our default is to wage war. And so today what we're going to see, we're going to take another look at a fascinating part of the Christmas story, one that you probably don't hear about a lot. Well, part of it you do. The other first part you probably don't. We're going to see that there was a guy named Herod the Great who waged war whenever he felt threatened in his life. And then we're going to take a look at the wise men. And we're going to see when they felt threatened, what what did they do? And so we're going to contrast those two things. We're going to really see what wisdom looks like here today. And then hopefully, after we're done seeing how what wisdom looks like, we can apply that to our own lives and our own situations after we're done. So if you brought your Bibles or if you're maybe on an electronic device like I, you, like I like to use, I'll be in Matthew chapter 2 starting in verse 1. I'm reading out of the NLT today. Matthew 2 verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men, uh, in the Greek it actually is magi, and you've heard that before, I'm, I'm sure, from the eastern lands, arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. That's a phrase I hadn't keyed on in before. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means. Everyone in Jerusalem was also disturbed. So let's start talking about this Herod. Herod the Great. A little bit of information, background information about Herod the Great. He, was, he called himself Herod the Great, actually. And here we go. We have a little, 
little bust of Herod the Great. He was an incredibly ambitious man, and when he took power, one of the things he wanted to do was build things. He was a builder, and he thought that, you know, if I build these huge things, that people will remember me. And so the projects he took on was a fortress in, uh, where is it, Uh, Masada. You might have heard of that before. A lot of people, when they go over to the Holy Land, Israel, they go see Masada, the fortress that's at Masada. There was also, he built a big, huge harbor at uh, Caesarea, or Caesarea, depending on how you pronounce that. Uh, But yeah, he built that huge harbor for for goods. Obviously, uh, you know, having big ports and good ports were very important back there to move move, uh, commerce back and forth. And he also, I didn't know this, he also rebuilt and he expanded the Jewish temple. And I I had no idea that he did that, but he did. Now, although his self-title was Herod the Great, the Roman Senate appointed him king of the Jews. So he was actually called King of the Jews, and that's a title that he liked. He liked to be referred to as a king. Because, you know what? It's good to be the king, right? We've heard that before. Hey, it's good to be the king. But Herod gave in to that temptation. The the temptation that seizes every person in power, if you let it. Whenever he felt threatened, Herod waged war. Now, history tells us that Herod ruled with fear, intimidation, dishonesty, and also murder, even genocide. Bad dude. That's really waging war with intimidation, isn't it? We also find out that he murdered his first wife and three of his kids. Because... He perceived them as threats. For some reason, his sons were a threat to him. So he just took them out. So when the wise men arrived and asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Can you imagine what Herod must have been thinking? I'm the king of the Jews I mean, the Roman Senate, that's, they call me. They call me king of the Jews, so I'm king of the Jews. Who is this newborn king? What do you mean there's a newborn king of the Jews? Well, that was a threat like none other to Herod. And so what did Herod do? His default. He waged war. And if you think about it, it, it was a war actually against God himself. Because this was a, a God-ordained plan that this would unfold, that Jesus would come to be the Savior of the world. So Herod knew it had been about two years since the Magi saw the star. And so what he declared or decreed is that every son, two years or younger, was going to be murdered. And so he sent his thugs out in the surrounding area and killed every baby that was two years or younger. Now, you know, we may know that from years past, but if you really think about that, we have a lot of newborn kids around here at Connect. I mean, I was really thinking about this this week. That is just unbelievable, unimaginable to think that that took place and that those babies were ripped out of their family's arms and slaughtered 
Today we call that genocide, is what we call that. It's one of the most wicked crimes people in control can commit. And I know even in the 20th century we can think of genocide, and even in the 21st century we can think of genocide that has taken place around the world. But when we think about Herod, it was all because his position was threatened and he waged war. So let me ask you this question. When you feel threatened, do you wage war or do you choose to be wise? And I think it's a fair question that each one of us should answer in our minds and in our hearts. When we feel threatened, what do we do? Do we wage war in some way, shape, or form, or are we wise? So, let's take a look at the wise men now. That's a somewhat familiar story this time of the year. This translation in the Bible that that I read called them wise men, and that's really nice, and, and that's a great name for them, but it's not their proper name. In the Greek, they were actually magi. Magi were very, very important men, in the Middle East during this time. I didn't realize how important until we did some research the last couple weeks. They had been advisors to kings all the way back to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar was a king and, and he's chronicled in the book of Daniel. And so Daniel actually fell underneath the Magi moniker. He was actually a part of this group back in that time. And they were actually more powerful than kings themselves. And so when they showed up at Herod's doorstep looking for the newborn king, this shook Herod to the core. And here's something else. You know, we see the scene of the three wise men coming with three camels and maybe a couple people there with supplies or whatever, right? That's not the way it went down. That is not the way it went down. They came on horseback, and these magi, they traveled with an entourage around them. Like I said, they were very important people. Although they weren't kings, they were more important than kings to their culture and to their society. So, there's probably an upward of a thousand armed men came with them into Jerusalem. So you can really imagine now what Herod was thinking when these magi came from the east with this huge entourage. And a little caveat, his army wasn't in Jerusalem at the time or wasn't around at the time in Bethlehem. His, his army was gone. And so he didn't even have his army there to send out to battle these guys that were coming in to his territory, into his area. Very interesting. But what we see here is that there is a power greater than the kings or the magi that were at work. Because I didn't make mention of this a little bit ago, but the magi weren't kings, but they were actually king makers. And that's in your notes. The Magi were king makers. Nobody became a king without the Magi giving their seal of approval for that king to be made king. The Old Testament prophecy was foretold this in Numbers 24:17. Great verse. 
A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. And so here we see that when the star appeared, it would have been natural for these men of great power to feel threatened because they understood the different prophecies and the different religions around the area at the time. And so they would have been very familiar with this prophecy. And maybe like Herod, maybe at first, maybe some of them were tempted to find the baby and to kill him also. But although the wise men could have been threatened by Jesus, what did the wise men choose to do? The wise men chose to seek him. And the Bible says that when they found him in Matthew 2.11, we read this, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So here we see these king makers come in and give Jesus, the Christ child, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's amazing. That is truly amazing. Truly a God-ordained scenario has unfolded here. So what's the challenge for me and what's the challenge for you today? When I'm threatened, I can wage war or I can be wise. We've talked about that. And in case maybe you don't feel like you're wise or very smart or particularly intuitive, maybe this will help. This is a great line. I love using this line around the holidays. Wise men and women still seek him. Wise men still seek him. So being wise means that I seek Jesus. Being wise means that I worship Jesus, because that's what the Magi did. The kingmakers came on the scene, and they sought after Jesus. They were seeking him. And then when they found him, then they worshiped him. And for you and for me, the next step is being wise means that I imitate Jesus. Being wise means that I imitate Jesus. There's a great uh, portion of the Bible in Philippians that is this great, and we've read this before in the past, but I want to read Philippians 2, 6 through 8 again. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was not God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. We see that Jesus was obedient and he was humble. And so if we want to imitate Jesus in 2016 going into 2017, that's what being wise is all about. We become obedient and we become humble. We seek after Jesus and we worship Jesus. So instead of waging war, when I perceive a threat, we seek him just like the Magi did. And that is wisdom. That's what we're talking about today. 
But when I wage war, try to take control, or maybe even try to act out in vengeance and try to grab revenge in my hand, this will only lead to disaster. But seeking him and then listening to the Holy Spirit, he will guide my steps and actions and will lead to healing and restoration and reconciliation in my life and in yours. I'm going to ask Ryan to go ahead and take the stage real quick. I just feel like we just need to to spend just a moment in prayer. So if you'd like to bow your heads with me. I would just like to pray over us right now. Father God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for this story that is unfolded, what we call a part of the Christmas story. And God, it's really interesting when we look at the two different ways people responded to Jesus. Herod, on the one hand, was threatened, and so he waged war. The Magi, the kingmakers, maybe they felt threatened as well, but instead of waging war, they chose to be wise and they chose to seek and worship Jesus. That was many, many, many years ago, but God, you're asking us the same thing today. December 4th of 2016. There are two responses when we feel threatened. We can either wage war or we can be wise. And so the question I have for each one of us, maybe in our lives we felt threatened by Jesus in some way. And so because we felt threatened by Jesus, instead of seeking him and becoming humble and worshiping him, what we chose to do is wage war against Jesus. And so as we've gone through this teaching this morning, God, I just want to spend a, a moment reflecting on that. Speak to us right now. And if that's truly what's been going on, I just want to give each one of us a moment to repent, to seek and worship Jesus right now. A lot of times we ask for a a hand raise or some kind of an action, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm just going to ask for us to sit and in just a moment of reflection. And maybe it's not even to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Maybe it's just something else that I've ignored Jesus in my life for some reason. And so this is an all-encompassing prayer, whether you've just ignored Jesus in your life or whether you've never accepted Jesus' sacrifice. I'm just going to pray a prayer over each one of us. Father God, I thank you, first of all, for sending Jesus to be my Savior. God, I believe that he became human. He lived a perfect life. He died a criminal's death. And 
rose again three days later. To take away my sins as I acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and Savior in my life. And now, with that acknowledgement and with that prayer, I just pray that you would change me from the inside out. Make me whole again. Get me in right relationship with you, I pray. Or maybe Jesus, maybe I've just ignored the Holy Spirit in my life recently and maybe I know there's some things that I should have been doing, but instead of worshiping and seeking you, I've waged war and decided to go and do my own thing. God, I repent of that right now as well. Give me another chance. Show me that opportunity once again that maybe I ignored. God, I just want to serve you each and every day of my life. I want to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit speaking to me in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to go into a time of communion right now, so I ask those that are going to help serve to go ahead and just grab the stuff and start passing it out. And while the communion elements are being passed out, Ryan's just going to play for us. Here at Connect, we do an open communion. You don't have to be a member of Connect to take communion. Uh, We celebrate communion once a month. We know that Jesus celebrated communion or celebrated Passover with the disciples. And that's such an important time, Passover, because it really signified the Jewish people coming out of bondage because they were in bondage to Egypt for so many years. And so they celebrate Passover to commemorate when they were passed over and they were brought out of bondage. And in the same way we celebrate communion, remembering what Jesus did for us and the fact that his sacrifice allows us to have eternal life and to be in right relationship with Father God. So everybody hold the elements until we're done and then we'll take communion together. In Luke 22, starting in verse 14, it says this, When the time came, Jesus and his apostles sat down together at the table. And then Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying this, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And that's what we're doing. We're remembering Jesus right now. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We're remembering you right now. Be with us as we take this time and set this time aside for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat the bread together. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said this, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. I love that word covenant, and I I make mention of that each time we, we do communion. It's more than a contract that can be broken. It's a covenant that will never be broken. That gives us hope and security for a future. Let's pray again. Jesus, once again, we come to you and we say thank you for your sacrifice.
Thank you for keeping your part of this covenant. And now we keep ours by remembering you and committing to you our lives as we move forward. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's drink the juice. What a great Sunday. Once again, I I love being able to share communion with, with my church family. It's a great reminder for us each month 